Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And so finally I told my husband, and I figured that he would probably leave me because I was so dirty inside because of what dad did. This is truly what I thought. And he just he just hugged me and he said, I love you. And I found out that it was okay to tell him. And it was okay for me to tell people. This was before the false memory started. And I could tell someone and they would say, I'm really sorry that happened to you. How are you doing? And each time I did that, I felt a little braver, a little more courageous. And that's one of the tough things about false memories that they silenced us. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning. 
If you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friend, do you suffer from depression? Symptoms of depression are not always obvious. You might feel constantly tired. You might be low in energy, low in motivation. You might have constant feelings of anxiety or worry, feelings of sadness or feeling constantly guilty about everything. If this sounds like you, take a look at Destroy Depression. It's a treatment plan that works regardless of your symptoms or your age. It's a totally drug-free, straightforward plan that explains everything you need to know about eliminating depression step by step. Destroy Depression helps you dominate your depression. It helps you take back control over your symptoms and it comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Click the link in the show notes to find out more about how Destroy Depression can help you because you really do deserve to live your life free from the symptoms of depression. Hey, my beautiful friends. This week on the Heal blog, if you grew up in a toxic family dynamic, you may see yourself as either the scapegoat or possibly the golden child. When a parent is toxic, they will play one child off of another. They'll play favorites. They'll promote one child whilst gaslighting the other. It's a super tough environment to grow up in. But does the golden child come out of this dynamic much differently to the scapegoat? Both are assigned a role, assigned by the toxic parent. Both are being manipulated. Neither is able to live as their true self. The link to this blog post is in the show notes. Today, I am speaking with author Lynn Crook, who has written a book called False Memories, The Deception That Silenced Millions. Lynn remembered a good childhood. She remembered holidays and school and friends, but she didn't remember anything that happened within her family home. At 45 years of age, Lynn began recovering memories from childhood of sexual abuse, which resulted in her taking her parents to court. Lynn shares her experiences of standing up and speaking her truth at a time when the False Memory Syndrome Foundation was spending millions of dollars to try and silence survivors who were speaking out about their abuse by accusing them of lying about the memories they were recovering. Trigger warning, there is reference to sexual abuse in this episode. Please join me now for Lynn's story. Lynn, welcome to the podcast. You are the author of a book called False Memories, The Deception That Silenced Millions. Back in the 90s, when some US states allowed adults who were molested as children to sue for damages, accused parents claimed the accusations were false memories implanted by therapists and they started the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. They wanted these crimes against children dismissed as false memories And as your book title suggests, this movement silenced millions of adults who had been abused as children. 
Up until the age of 45, you were unaware of the abuse you had suffered as a child. And at 45, you recovered memories of what had happened to you. Before the age of 45, can you tell us what you believed about your childhood? What I remembered was the insides of the house. And I didn't remember anything that took place within the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I believed, okay, what I believed is I, I believed that I had a perfect childhood. I came from a perfect family and yeah. I wasn't willing to take it any further. Yes. Interesting. My father was, my father, after all, was a doctor and that was a cool thing to be back mm. then. My mother was a nurse who stayed home and took care of us. I mean, how can you ask for more? Yeah, absolutely. And did you have good memories of growing up? Fun memories? Happy memories? Vacations. I remembered vacations and they were happy memories, but I didn't remember anything else. I remembered school because that was away from home. And I remember conversations that happened in school. And I remember what the school looked like and the teachers, because that was the safe thing for me to remember. Yes, yes, absolutely. And did you have, do you remember having any sort of mental health issues as a child or a teen? Do you remember how you actually felt? You know, that's a good question. Mental health, I, I don't think we were allowed to have mental health problems. I, I once stopped having periods and they took me to the doctor who told me that sometimes when you, when girls be, stop their periods, it, it's because they're upset about something. And then I told him, I realized that I was upset about the fact that my father was so mean to me. And then that was... The next day, I I was back to normal again. So that was the only problem that I had because I came from a perfect family. Yeah, yeah. And so you said that you do have memories of school and Mm -hmm. that's because it was away from your home. So was school a good place to be? School was a great place and I wanted to do really well in school. I wanted to have friends. I felt quiet and shy, like, I had a hard time talking to people, but I had friends. And then I look, we had a high school reunion and I looked at the comments that people made about me and they didn't see me as shy. They saw me as smart, as has their act together. And which is exactly why I wanted, how I wanted to look because I didn't want people to think I was crazy. Yeah. That was my big fear for years that people would think I was crazy and I didn't connect that with my childhood, what my father did. Yeah. And so generally as a teen and in your early adulthood, was your relationship with your parents seemingly good a good relationship? Seemingly. What I can remember of my mother is she always had a frown on her face. We, I don't think we fought. My father scolded me a lot, but we didn't fight because he always had the upper hand anything he said was right. Mm. And... So your book is all about recovered memories. Can you explain what a recovered memory actually is? Yeah, I'm going I'm to start with what, how I repress memories. Mm-hmm. When I was about six or seven, I told someone, I don't know who I told. My father got really mad at me and he made me eat something that I thought would make, that was I thought was poisonous. And so... I woke up the next morning and I was totally shocked because I thought I was going to die. And he told me that anytime I think of something that I 
don't want to think of, I just say, forget it to myself, forget it. So any time I thought of a memory, I said, forget it. And after a certain period of time, I forgot things permanently. And that's what repression was for me. It, it was, I didn't know it. It's hard to believe that I didn't know it, but it's not hard to, for me to believe that children can deliberately and unconsciously forget things that they don't want to think about because yeah. their brains are immature. So, yes, well, so many children, they dissociate and adults, we dissociate from what's happening in order to stay safe, in order to survive. And then you hear about the people who split into a whole bunch of different personalities for the same reason. So when something really difficult is happening to a child, it makes sense that in order to survive it, they need to repress those things. So does it have to be like you're you're saying that your father gave you something to eat which made you very sick and then he told you that any time you had a, a bad memory you had to repress it or you had to forget it? Forget it, yeah. Forget it. Do you think, though, that a lot of people just repress memories without that sort of guidance from somebody? I think it, it can just be a natural thing. I think so. It can be a natural thing. And every child has to figure out a way that works for them. And the fact that because we figured out ourselves, we come up with different solutions. And this worked for me. And I think that I, I think that may my father may have known something about self-hypnosis. Maybe I thought, since he was a doctor. Yeah. He may have thought that if I told myself this time after time that I would forget. But everybody deals with it in a way that works for them. Yes, absolutely. I think we're just our bodies are going to do what they need to do, whatever that is, yeah. to survive. So your father was a doctor. I'm assuming he would have been a well-thought-of member of the community. You've got six brothers and sisters. You're presenting, I'm assuming, as a or five. There's six of you all together? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, as so many families do, you're presenting as a good family and yet behind closed doors, there was this sexual abuse. Can you tell us what kinds of memories you started to recover in your 40s? Well, I think that I recovered memories that were the easiest for me to remember. And I also have this idea that the part of me that this happened to when I started to remember was standing behind me and she was very proud of me that I was finally remembering what she had, what she had kept private for me. And the first member, memory that I had was after I was at the doctor's office and he told me that sometimes girls do stop having periods, that I was standing in the kitchen in February. It was raining. Water was pouring down. Water was coming out of the faucet. And suddenly I was in the bathroom shower with my father, much shorter, and he made me put my hand on his penis. And I thought, oh my God. And I thought, well, it only happened once. So I decided not to tell anyone. And then I remembered something else maybe three weeks later. And I thought, oh crap, and one of those. And so finally I told my husband and I figured that he would probably leave me because I was so dirty inside because of what dad did. This is truly what I thought. And he just, he just hugged me. 
and he said, I love you. And I found out that it was okay to tell him. And it was okay for me to tell people. This was before the false memory started. And I could tell someone and they would say, I'm really sorry that happened to you. How are you doing? And each time I did that, I felt a little braver, a little more courageous. And that's one of the tough things about false memories that they silenced us. Yeah. I wasn't silenced before and I was silenced after. I'll get to that later. but Yeah. And how beautiful to have that. Mm-hmm. partner that actually just says that I mean that's all you want isn't it it's you just yeah. want you just want someone to to accept it just to yeah. say I believe you and it's okay and and to give you a hug and so why do you think at 45 years of age you began to recover these memories why does that happen well I was working at a sexual assault center by then and I had understood from what I saw at my clients that they were immensely courageous. They weren't like what I had thought they were. I We had a schoolmate who I was told she was molested as a child. And when I learned that, oh, I thought, I thought how awful for her. She must be feel, feeling rotten, just really, really bad about herself. I It was time for me to remember at 45. I think there are people who never remember, like some family members have never remembered, or maybe just one little vague hint, but it was time for me to remember. Yeah, and I do think these things come back at a later point in our lives, don't they? It's not something that often happens when we're younger. Did you feel like, I mean, did you trust those memories when you got them? Were they real, like, or did you feel like you were going a little bit crazy? It's weird, isn't it, to all of a sudden at that age come up with these memories yeah I felt like it's not true I don't want to believe this I don't want to believe this I don't want to believe this and I went on like that for a while and my therapist asked me what would it mean to you if you you found out that your memories are false and I thought for a while and I realized that if I recalled that they were false then I would have to put all this yucky stuff purple stuff that I was remembered back inside myself and I just couldn't do that I didn't want to do that I couldn't yeah the thought made me sick yes I I totally get that and so at what point did you confront your parents with this information I confronted my mother fairly soon I did it in a public place so she couldn't like yell at me Mm. the first thing she said and I read off some of the things I recall. The first thing she said was, I believe you. And I felt very comforted by that. And we talked and she started telling me all about all the awful things about my father, about things he did, he'd done and things that he did that weren't, that weren't right. And so that, that was, that, that, that was the first time I told a family member and it was, it, it worked really well. Mm-hmm. And By the time I told my father, I'd been in therapy for a while. And I thought that I would dissociate if I told him all the things. There were about 10 things that I remembered. So I wrote them down on a piece of paper. And he came to my therapy session. And he didn't know. No one had told him what I was going to say. So he sat down. And the therapist said, Lynn has something she wants to tell you. And so one by one, I went through my memories. And I looked at him after each each time I said a memory, and I swear that number seven, I always remember number seven, 
he had a kind of a happy look on his face. Oh yeah, like he remembered it. So I think he probably remembered one of those things. But afterwards he said, I have no memory of that. And another father said something just like that. I have no memory of that. I don't know if he planned to be confronted at some point and he decided to say that, but no, he just, he, he never, he never acknowledged that he molested me. Wow. And that would have been, oh, that must have been so hard to sit there and just have him say that. And I guess that's probably why a lot of people don't confront their abuser, isn't it? Because they know yeah. that they're just going to diminish. They're just going to, you know, completely blank that that ever happened. Yeah. I think when you confront your parents, they don't remember every single thing that they did, but they probably remember a couple of things. So I'm glad that I read off that list. How old were your parents at that point? My mother was 22 years older. My father was oldish. He was like 30, 30 years older than me. So in his 70s then at this point. Yeah, in his 70s. Yeah. And he, he said that people thought well of him. Well, I thought they did because he was a doctor. And then I found out that after the news appeared in the paper about the trial, the people started coming to me and telling me things about my father. Like a couple of women said that he was really, really mean to them in the hospital. They just, he just called them bad names. Another one told me that he was, they, they had him do a house call because the mother there was ill. And he said, oh, she's fine. And he left. And right after that, the mother died. And I thought that the family members thought that my father might have hastened his death. And that would not surprise me if he did that, because he felt like a powerful kind of guy. So I would say he was not well, well seen, well viewed in the community, which is also validating for me. Yes, absolutely. And so you recovered memories, you've spoken to each of your parents. And at this time, do you understand about that you have the right to take them to court? Is that something that's already in the news or is it something that came later? Oh, good question. Is I already knew that because I was at the agency working. So I had a pretty good idea, but the idea of suing my parents shocked me. Another thing that really worked for our family, I don't know of any other family who's done this, we all got together at a hotel in Seattle and I shared what I recalled and everyone shared what they recalled. And the reason that was a good idea is because often when you just go straight to the parent and confront them, the mother usually will talk to each child and gaslight the accuser and the family will take sides. They couldn't really do that. They couldn't really shut me out like they might have done. Yeah, what a great idea. That's mm -hmm. that's really good advice, actually, isn't it? Because, yes, yeah. you try and sort of speak to people individually whenever you see them and, and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, so what actually took you to that point of saying, I'm going to sue my parents? Well, it took a lot of thought. It took a lot of cases with survivors who did speak. And it was also because I wanted justice. It was because a crime was committed against me as a child and I wanted justice. And I thought I could find it within the courtroom, within the legal system. And I didn't know of any other way to find justice because if I, my father was not going to apologize, but that was, that's another topic. So I had a strong need for justice. I think that's it. Yeah. And can you tell us about the trial? What happened? Yeah, the trial lasted a month. And all that time I was seated about six feet away from my parents. Wow. And we looked at each other once. We didn't chat. My mother didn't say, Lynn, how are you doing? We didn't talk at all. And I had a friend from the agency who was sitting behind them. And she, she told me that she had heard my mother say to my father, you know, if I hadn't stayed in bed when I was pregnant with her, we wouldn't be here. And that to her was logic. And that was the hardest thing I think that went on for me in the trial. But the trial went, the trial went well. They they had two experts who testified. That was Elizabeth Loftus and Richard Offshe. And what we thought was Richard Offshe was a negative for them. And Elizabeth Loftus was kind of even, was 50-50. It was hard hearing them talk about me. I guess what they did was they chose the memory for them that was hardest to believe. But Loftus does that, typically. It was hardest to believe, and so she talked about that, and she talked about since that memory must be false, then all my memories must be false. Could be false, could be false. My sisters testified, and my, my parents testified, which was a remarkable experience here was my attorney questioning them. And first, I don't know, I don't remember who testified first, but these were two people who had bullied, bullied me all my life. And here they were getting asked questions that they did not like, and they couldn't bully the attorney. They had to be very polite. And I, I kind of wish that all survivors could go through that, that experience, to be held accountable on the witness stand. Mm. Uh, and they can't, Pull their usual tricks. They have to be polite. Yeah, they have to be polite. That that was great. And another good thing that happened was the judge's decision at the very end. He kept reading, and my hopes went up and down. And then finally, he said, and that he was deciding in my favor. And I I was just I was just so happy that I cried. And I gave my husband a hug, and friends who were there in the courtroom to hear the decision congratulated me. I don't know what my parents did, but I looked over there and they, they were gone. Apparently they left right after the decision. 
And one of the things I did for justice was to enter the judge's decision online. So I just typed out the whole thing and entered it. So I, that was another part of justice for me. Mm. Yeah. And you actually sued both parents, is that right? Not just your yeah, father? Yeah, because I knew that my mother, yeah, I knew that my mother knew. I finally realized my mother knew. I remembered something that meant that she knew because she walked by the bedroom and there we, there's someone else and I, another sister were in bed with dad. And I thought she would stop. And I thought she would realize what he was doing to us. That she just looked at us and then she kept walking. And I thought she knew. Mm. And that was a horrible shock for me as a child because I had no recourse. I had no one to tell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, she knew. And after I named her in the lawsuit, then she does, she did what mothers, a lot of mothers do. She gaslighted me. So she would say, I. she would describe to me, describe me to people who told her that that they heard about the case. She would, oh, she just used terrible words. And but that was her only weapon. I realized there's nothing more she could do other than de- deny it. But but she did it, so she knew. Yeah. Because I finally figured out because she trafficked us. Yes. She wanted. She wanted. Yeah. She wanted to keep her perfect perfect life. Yeah. And I did not see them after the trial. I did not talk to them at all. I did not write letters, nothing. And they kept the same, they did the same for me. After the trial, um, who was, I forgot, a publication called and said they wanted to do an article on my case. Could they have my parents' phone number? And I gave it to them and I never heard anything more. And what I think is my parents refused to have articles about them. And I will be forever grateful to them for doing that because we were in false memory times back then. And they would have, the articles would have slanted the case in their favor. So, right. Yes. So I say, thank you, Mom. Yeah. Yeah. And were they, in, <laughs> were, were they still in touch with the rest of your, like you had five other siblings. Was there a relationship with the parents still? There was. Yeah, there was. I'm not positive how how it was, but they, my siblings told me that they talked to mom and dad mm. throughout. Yeah, throughout throughout the whole thing, mm. throughout the three years. So yeah, yeah, they were in contact. Yeah, and you mentioned Dr. Loftus, who was one of the people that spoke at the trial against you, or was she speaking for false memories? And even after the trial, she tried to discredit you, didn't she? I was reading about Dr. Loftus and and she's represented hundreds of parents who were taken to court by their children. She worked with Michael Jackson, Harvey Weinstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, Ted Bundy, Bill Cosby. So you go through this trial and then you still have people trying to discredit your story. I mean, it's quite unbelievable really isn't it it's crazy and two things and i'll talk about loftus after this i people would come up to me and say how are your parents your memories aren't really true are they and i would say but i won in a trial the judge declared in my favor and that just went right over their head that that was just not it doesn't make any difference what the it didn't make any difference what the judge said 
because I had falsely accused my parents and that's all they read about. So there's an organization called the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, which appears to be founded by a group of parents who were accused of child abuse by their own children with recovered memories. Do you know how the False Memory Foundation got started? Well, it got started because of us, because of people who were accusing their parents and they needed something to combat these all these accusations. And so Dr. Loftus tossed out some ideas to the newspapers. And when the idea of implanting memories got headlined by the Washington Post, she chose that. And it did not mean that therapists were implanting memories in the clients. It did not mean that. It just meant that she felt that this was something that would work because the Washington Post believed it. So that's what they started doing in March of 1992. And they did all sorts of things to promote the story. And they spent $7.5 million promoting the story. After the trial, she talked to Psychology Today, to the, a reporter there, and she said that my, my memories are probably false. And I contacted Psychology Today, and I said, no, I, I won in court. It didn't make any difference. So I filed an ethics complaint against her with the APA, and she resigned before they had a chance to deal with my complaint. So then I filed a complaint with the University of Washington where she was working, and they they decided for themselves that my memories were false. So there wow. you go, as far as I could. Oh, and how hard is that? I mean, how hard is it to have people still tell you that what you know about your childhood is false? I think it's never going to go back to the way it was before the trial when people were very supportive. Mm. It's... I am glad that I recalled when I did. I would hate to recall within any time within, this has lasted 30 years. I would hate to recall any time during this because these these people, they cause you to doubt your memories. And I wonder what it's like to be a student in psychology class because you read in psychology textbooks that memory is false and what you recalled is probably false. How do you deal with memories when you read about that? How How, how can you manage to see a therapist and get to a place where you need to be, where you would have been had you not been molested. How do you do that? I don't know. Yeah. And so this foundation got a lot of support, didn't it? I mean, it's like you said, they raised millions of dollars. And so really there was like a turning of the tide with the press where they were very supported in the end, weren't they? They were very supportive. There were 800 articles. It went it went viral. They were very, very supportive because people like me were all lying to get attention or just disabled, memory disabled in some way. So what we had recalled couldn't possibly be true. And there, there's one number that I say that doesn't fit within the false memory. No one believes it. I have a hard time believing it. But if you know that prevalence rates are one in four girls and one in 11 boys, that means that over 40 million adults in the U.S. were molested as children. Actually, it's 48 million, but I just say over 40 million. Even that number is really hard to, hard to, hard to believe. I have a hard time believing 40 million. That's a lot. How can we let... Journalists just molest so many kids. How can we do that? 
I know. It's just know. A, like it's it it's you can't even comprehend that. Wow. I mean, it's just so unbelievable. It's such a massive number. It's just impossible to believe that this and that's why, you know, I said I know that you've said that your dad probably wasn't as well thought of, but realistically most of these things are happening in homes that look perfect. You know, they're putting on this this perfect kind of veneer for the world and terrible things are happening to little kids daily and it's just, oh, it's just so hard. I don't know. It's just so big. It's just hard to see how that's ever going to get reduced. It's just really just constantly trying to educate people, I suppose, and get people to come forward, you know, and, and tell their yeah. stories as well. I watched Mary Knight's Am I Crazy? And that was a fascinating film around her own recovered memory story. And within that movie, there was a video of Marilyn Van Derber, who was a victim of child sexual abuse. And she describes herself as a day child and a night child. She says, her personality split into two so that she could survive. She became a huge high achiever at school and she was actually Miss America when that was probably the biggest thing that a woman could be. But by splitting her personality into two, she was able to actually function, you know, she was able to sort of block out whatever was going on in her home and it's just so incredible what our brains can do, isn't it? When I heard that story, it just, and she was just looked like the most incredible girl. You would never have looked at her and thought there was anything but love coming her way from a, a good, stable family. And yet, you know, this is what she had to do to survive. Yeah, talk about perfect. Like she, mm. she's beautiful, she's smart. Talk about someone who's perfect. That's her. But then you, then she, when she realized, it took her a long time to get used to the fact that her father molested her. And I've also found, I don't have a large sample, but I found that people who repress memories, who can do that as children, are also intelligent. Okay? Uh -huh. Like me, I, I'm smart. And that makes sense to me because you have to be able to figure things out. How am I going to work this so I can survive? Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. You speak of having a dream about being a spy because you say that your parents used code at home. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Oh yeah, they would they would talk about us and I could tell they were talking about us, but they would use a different word, a different name. And so I couldn't figure out what it was. I couldn't figure out who they were talking about. And I thought it must be something really interesting because they were trying so hard to hide it. And I thought, well, that would be cool to be someone who could listen to people who were speaking in code, which is probably rhetoric also, and who could understand it. So I decided to become a spy. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And actually, I was, I actually became a French teacher in high school. But I think that what I did after I recalled is I became a spy in my own mind, because I was, I started doing research because things were, I, I when I found out that Loftus had dropped the first six subjects from her mall study, I thought, that's curious. And so I set out to find why she did that. Mm. So I, I could be a spy when I was older. That was, it was kind of fun, actually. 
Yeah. And I think you probably, like you say, you have been a spy in your own life, in your own, it's like yeah. writing this book. It's It really is looking into all the ins and outs of it. I know your mission is to make the world safer for children by ensuring that institutions, families, schools, sports, churches stop providing perpetrators with access to children. How do perpetrators gain access to children? Oh, because they're so charming. They're so nice. If they're going to be like jerks, they're not going to get access to children. So they're going to be very, very, very pleasant. They're going to make friends, special friends with the parents so that they can take the child off to, you know, get an ice cream cone or something. That's how they do it. They manipulate us. And we so want to be the kind of parent who can see this guy is really likes my daughter. That's so sweet because I want people to really like my children. So sure, he can take her off for ice cream cone. Sure. So mm -hmm. that's how they do it. They manipulate us. When I was a, when I was a mother, I was on the lookout for anything like that. I was mm. over the top on the lookout. As you say, I mean, it is in all the stories that you hear about this, it's the really cool babysitter. You've just got to be so careful who you let your kids spend time with. It's definitely something that as a parent I was on high alert to because you just, it can just be that it can just be a person that looks after kids. That's that's what that that's what they're drawn to you know they might be in the the child care you don't know so it's so important to just be watching out for that stuff when you tell people yeah. you were molested as a child how do you wish people would respond to that information I wish they would respond with compassion mm. I wish they would say I'm sorry that happened to you and that not that they're apologizing but they are sad mm. And I was molested as a child. And I'm starting to starting to say a crime was committed against me as a child. And I want to see if that causes a difference in, in the way people respond, because these parents commit crimes against their children. Yes. I think look at it that way, and it seems that's pretty bad. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Lynn, your book, False Memories, The Deception That Silenced Millions, is a must read and it's such an important book. Where can we find the book? And is there anything else you want us to know about what you're doing in this space? Okay, the book is, you can get it at Amazon. It's about $17 and there's a Kindle version. And I would like people to know that if you dismiss child sex abuse as no big deal, if you say that, well, this child seems fine, or there's no mark on the child, the mark is inside and it will impact them for the rest of their life. I've been in therapy for ever since I recalled. And I, I know that there's still issues that I deal with because of what happened to me as a child. So, and for those who were molested as kids, get therapy, tell people, find some safe people to tell and get therapy. I think yeah. that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. And get exercise and eat healthy food. <laughs> yeah. And and if you have a child that comes to you with something, hear them as well. For parents, it's very easy to dismiss something, isn't it? Oh, that 
that that didn't really happen or whatever, you know, really listen to what your child's telling you I think is so important as well. Lynn, your story is truly fascinating and it's so important that you're spreading this information about recovered memories because with the statistics for child sexual abuse so high, it will have affected so many people. Thank you for all the work you're doing in this space. I've learned so much from this conversation today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.